Welcome to episode 14 of The God Learners, a podcast dedicated to gaming, reading and writing in the magical world of Glorantha. I am Ludovic, aka Lord Abdul. I am Gerard, and our guest is once more David Scott. Welcome back, David. Hi, thanks for having me back. Hi, David. Um, David is back for uh, talking about Nomad Gods again, um, second part of the first part episode that uh, ran longer than we thought, and now it's a two-parter. But before we um, talk about all that good stuff, uh, we have some news. Yes, we do. Um, one piece of news, a current initiative to write your first adventure is a workshop uh, which has content for Call of Cthulhu and for RuneQuest role-playing in Glorantha. And the RuneQuest uh, curriculum has been created by Nick Brook, the community ambassador for the Johnstone Compendium. Hi, Nick. Uh, that's the cause. Uh, it's going to run for about a month and is supposed to end with a one-shot uh, scenario by the participants. So we might expect to see uh, a bunch of um, scenarios on the Johnston Compendium popping up in about a couple of months from now. Yes. That's, uh, that's going to be interesting. Speaking of the Johnston Compendium, there's been a, a few new titles on it. Yep. Um, one of the offerings is Pirates of the East Isles by Scott Crowder. It's part one of a series of several books uh, dealing with well, piracy, sailing in uh, those magical islands and opening up a part of Glorantha we haven't had any information on before. Yeah, people should get the book. It's got uh, drawings and maps by me, so... Um... It would be nice if people bought it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I made a, a multi-level map of a pirate town. Like it's a secret pirate town hidden by the magic of the island goddess. Uh, I guess Scott took the two-sentence description in the Guide to Glorantha and, and ran with it. And it was fun. Yeah, well, that's the way to go. Yeah. And I mean, that's the that's the fun stuff with the Guide to Glorantha, right? You open up a random page, you read one very flavorful piece of text that's just like one paragraph about a thing, and you can do a, a whole campaign just about that. Like there's there's a lot of fun ideas in the in the guide. And what else? Oh yeah, there's the hardcover uh, version of the, like the print version of the Namolding saga. Uh, so that's the... Um, uh, White Deer instead? Yes, correct. Um, so that's available in print. We're going to have uh, some link in the in the show notes. And hopefully, maybe by the time this episode airs, we might even have some ducks on the Jensen Companion. We're awaiting the the release of uh, Legion Games Duck Pack sometime this weekend. Well, the first part of four. Oh, the, yeah, the first part of four. They had like such a big amount of material written um, that they were wondering how to uh, put it on the Jensen Companion, and I think a lot of authors recommended them to split it up in smaller installments. Because, like, uh, big books don't sell as much. Anyway, uh, what else do we have? Chaosium just announced the date for Chaosium Con next year in 2023, uh, which will still be in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, the current home of... Okay, well, I don't know. Would you qualify it as the home of Chaosium, David, or is it just, like, one of the... No, it's our registered business address. 
Ah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that's so. that's the, the that's the big um, thing. If you if you look on our web pages, you'll see that um, right. our address in Ann Arbor is where we're registered. So, and more importantly, that's where the most of the big archives are, right? Uh, in Rick's office, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Chaosium archives, not the Garanda archives. Those are in Colorado. If I'm correct, uh, uh, no, they're they're um, they're spread around a bit. Um, Jeff doesn't have everything. Um, Rick doesn't have everything. Okay, it, it's a case of um, who got what mm. in the separation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, well, hopefully um, we'll be able to see some of you. Uh, I've I was at Kiosium Con this year. I'm definitely going to try to be there next year. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It was fun. Is that it for news? Uh, that's well, what I uh, had uh, collected. <laughs> yeah. Um, as as usual, any uh, other news you uh, will be able to find in our weekly newsletter. Oh right, yes. Um, the Journal of Running Studies. Thank you, Jörg. Um, people can subscribe to it um, every Sunday slash Monday. Uh, you would receive in your inbox or RSS feeds or whatever um, a compilation of uh, everything that happened during the week that at least we could find or had time to find um, so that you know everything that's up around the world of Glorantha and also sometimes if we have some extra time we add a, a few interesting articles from Earth that are of interest to Glorenthan players. We are going to talk again about Nomad Gods. David, could you maybe do a, you know, a one minute summary of what nomad gods is uh, nomad gods was uh, greg stafford's second board game um for chaosium first one being um, white bear red moon it's set out in the uh, land of prax uh, which is to the east of uh, drag uh, dragon pass it's where the animal nomads live um who are a uh, uh, a pretty homogenous culture, but within the culture, there are different tribes who ride effectively different animals. And within that sort of organization, there's lots of, there's major and minor tribes. So Nomad Gods is a hex and counter war game that uh, basically lets you battle the groups together or things together. Right, and it, it's it's an old school board game because it's from 1977. It's 77, yeah. It's older than me. <laughs> so in the in the previous episode on the on the topic, uh, we went through mostly the first half of the rules booklet, and of course the game now is very hard to find, or rather it's. There's a, a couple of versions of the game that are easy to find but are um, sold at insane prices. But the rules booklet is available in PDF, direct from Chaosium for a few bucks. So this is what, uh, well, at least I am going with because I don't have 
the game. In the last episode, we also mentioned the virtual tabletop version. So the, the way to play it is get a copy of Vassal and get the rule book and you have yeah. everything to play the game. Right, yes. Uh, but so, yeah, people can follow at home by grabbing the PDF from uh, Kiosium unless they are lucky enough to have the original game somewhere. Or there, there, uh, and there was a French edition of uh, Nomad Gods, Litio Nomad, yeah. which uh, came out around the time Hero was was published in French. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I bought mine in 1994 on conversion. Uh, right, the French version? Yeah. Right. Hero Wars came out in about 2000, Jörg. Yeah, in that case, why? Uh, I bought it on a convention and I wasn't in... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't remember what time is. The, the French version... Okay, let's just get this right. <laughs> the French version came 1997. 1997. And the, uh-huh. and the confusion is that already Robin Laws and Greg were talking about Hero Wars. And I first played Hero Wars in 1998 yes. at a convention. So the, the difference between it being released and played is about two or three years. Hmm. Yeah. That's probably what's in your head, Jörg. Yeah, right. Uh, 1998, I played uh, as well at Leicester. Uh-huh. I still have yes. that uh, photocopy with a green uh, green uh, cover of the uh... <laughs> board game geek lists the French version as 1994. For what's worth, I don't know if they might be wrong. I think so. We can do straight from the horse's mouth here. Oh my! I'm God. just going. Uh, I can, uh, well, I've got um, uh, one of the original copies of the English rules. So, um, although it was produced by Oriflam, yeah, it wasn't written by Oriflam. It was written in the U.S. and then translated. Uh, that's, oh. that's what some people don't don't realize. It was actually a translation that was never uh, really published uh, in English, except Wizards Attic did produce. Um, copies of the rules completely in English, but I don't think that was widely um, advertised as being available. So mm. I'd be very interested if anybody actually has a copy of the rules in English. So let me just open the rules in English. And the rules are copyright 1995. Oh, okay. Well. But that's not to say that's when it was published. <laughs> oh my so that okay. was that was because that's because the original rules were written the, the the rules the second edition were written first and then it was published by oriflam let's just have a quick look and see what it says because the there's going to be a copyright on the character on the sheets uh no they were very efficient in france with no copyright whatsoever <laughs> That's interesting. There's no because no, normally on on any bits of paper, there's um, yeah, there is a, a copyright. But do you know the cover picture is ninety four as well? The cover picture which has nothing to do with the game really. Oh, uh, and Nick Brooks' translation was two thousand and two. Anyway, it was somewhere in the nineties that Oriflam produced yeah. a, a copy, and somebody somewhere will know the truth of when it came out. Yeah. Well, um, if that somebody is listening, they can uh, they can send an email to us. Oh, hey, I've got it. I've got it in the text. It says here, 
will hopefully appear in 1996. Interesting. Uh, this okay. doesn't that doesn't help anybody, does it? Really. Um, but anyway, um, it's probably worth mentioning a, a brief history of um, the French edition. Um, it was uh, developed by, I say, developed by Stephen Martin. I think uh, rewritten by Stephen Martin is probably the best way of putting it. He effectively updated the rules to be compatible with Dragon Pass so that you could just use the same rule system for for the whole system, if you see what I mean. And because and Dragon he, Pass was the, let's say, second, third edition of uh, White Bear Red Moon, which had been redesigned with a different rule set, right? Yeah. yeah. It did incorporate some rules changes uh, and updates to make the rule system easier. But... On the on the downside, it expanded the characters, uh, characters, the counters, and included lots more units, which were, I would say, um, dubious. <laughs> um, the game, the game didn't have um, Greg's input that much at all into it. And it was kind of a, a, a development by Stephen Martin. So when you are writing for Chaosium Canon, and only if you're writing for Chaosium Canon, uh, Nomad Gods, the French edition, is not part of that canon, whereas the original copy of Nomad Gods is. And purely because it added loads of other bits and pieces um, that, that don't quite fit in. But on a positive point, um, the pictures on the counters are really cool. Um, you can actually you can actually see what what's going on as opposed to a little William Church blurred things. Mm. Um, perhaps you can put a, put a few of those um, in, into the into the notes at the end. Mm-hmm. And um, the map was also much nicer. But it, yet again, it's one of those things that when you update something, you sometimes lose some of the um, simplicity of what was going on. Um, it was also quite popular uh, at the time because it was a new Glorantham product that came out. Lots of people bought it. Um, and it was in French. And uh, if your French wasn't very good, um, Nick Brooke published a free translation on his website at the time, which was immensely helpful. Cool. But that doesn't stop um, hundreds of people mispronouncing the pieces. <laughs> and it's um, some of them some some of the some of the names i think are really cool as well um i can't rem- you know without having it in front of me i can't think but it's one of those things that when stuff is transliterated yeah uh, transliterated from one language to another it, it it doesn't really work and some of the french names um i actually think are um much nicer one that springs to mind is um, Jari or the Razor S, but that, she's not in the game. But the French yeah. translation, I always think, is a much nicer name. I can't remember what it is. Some of the things work, uh, and and there's been loads of discussions about how to translate Glorantha properly, hasn't there? Yet? When I got the the French version of uh, RuneQuest Glorantha that was um, crowdfunded uh, recently, like a couple of years ago, uh, this was my first encounter with French Glorantha and all of the names of places really like, you know, are really hard. Like every time I would read one, I would go, what the hell is that? And then, you know, starting to connect things 
<laughs> and and seeing how the the translators worked, it's like yeah, I mean it does make sense because it means that in English. So um, and and sometimes the the translations are uh, are fairly uh, uh, fairly interesting. One that, however, got me really confused is uh, simply like the lunar lunar empire is not empire lunaire like just the translation of it they kept it as empire lunar like lunar lunar is not a word in french but they just kept it written like that and said like that in french and i think it's because that's the way they did it in rq3 i think in oriflam for some reason yeah. i don't know why and so it 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 basically changes from something that is really the empire of the moon in english to something that sounds a bit like lunar but is a foreign word and so that's i don't know i'm sure the french fans like it actually because maybe it adds a little bit of mystery yeah. <laughs> and and uh exoticism i don't know but yeah it's yeah. it's got some interesting choices there yeah. uh, translating things is hard so nick brooks website is still up and the translation is there and yeah. you should put the link into it because it's um it's it's, it's actually quite interesting to see yeah we <laughs> will people. anyway if we don't want this to turn into a three-part uh, series we should uh, we should get started with uh, uh reading the book so last time we read through uh the basic and advanced game which was presenting the mechanics and the dynamics of prax and the, the relationship between tribes and the tribes and all that and we are uh, getting now to the magic game which is where it adds, you know, the magic, the spirits, and and all of the stuff that makes Glorantha Glorantha, I guess. So for those um, following at home, this is page thirty-four of the of the booklet, <laughs> which starts with a a very uh, nice illustration by Jin Day. I mean, Jin Day is doing a lot of illustrations in this book, uh, and all of them are really really cool. I like them. Um, I don't think I had many um, many things to say about the the rules themselves. Yes. So the main difference here from Dragon Pass is on the counters. Um, so when you look at the Dragon Pass counter, it's a square, and in each corner there's a set of numbers or symbols. Yeah. Um, Nomad Gods differs uh, in one place in that um, in the bottom right hand corner where Dragon Pass. Um, has instead of the range factor, it has something called the reflection factor. Mm. And um, the re reflection factor is, of course, uh, quite important in this game because it's the ability or lack of it uh, for a unit to attack spirits or reflect the attacks by spirits as equals on the spirit plane. And this is um, this is the big difference with um, White Bear, Red Moon, Dragon Pass, is there's no sort of spirit units as such. Uh, which forms the core of Prax, um, and this is this is down to uh, one of the important things about Prax that I spoke to Greg quite a lot about when I was looking at Praxian stuff, is that in in this there is a lot of spirit stuff in Prax which isn't present um, elsewhere um, in say Dragon Pass. And the reason why, uh, when asked, Greg said that it was one of the flaws of the Praxians, 
in that they were much more tied to the spirit plane and the, the great spirits uh, than they were the greater deities, uh, the gods. Mm-hmm. And this was reflected in Hieroquest Glorantha by making the Praxians um, basically 99% uh, spirit worshippers and 10% theists. Um, and that's not to say that they don't work the same mechanically. It's just the way the gods were viewed. And this this um, emphasis on spirits in Prax comes around to the way uh, Prax was destroyed in the in the Great Gods War, as such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the major difference. And that's why you get spirits, shamans, spirit cults, mm-hmm. um, all of these things uh, which kind of permeate Prax. Uh, and the units which um, show this the most is, of course, that each tribe has a shaman counter and each shaman has a fetch. Right. Um, so, yeah, before we go into the, the, the shaman stuff, because, you know, what I'm um, interested in is, is mostly like, you know, finding stuff that we can learn about prax from the rulebook and bringing that to uh, a role-playing game, uh, like possibly a RuneQuest game, but not just that. So the fact that Prax is a more like spiritual place in terms of uh, uh, spirit worship, does it mean that they worship less um, gods and more like powerful spirits? Or is it more that they actually worship the same amount of gods will spend time worshiping gods the same amount of time as people in dragon pass but they also spend more of their free time um, uh, worshiping spirits or like is it is it a, a, a more worshiping in absolute or is it just a different distribution of their um, spiritual life it's a different distribution of their spiritual life they're the same they're the same gods just as great spirits so RuneQuest, RuneQuest emulates that by when you can contact spirits, um, yeah. there's a chance of contacting a god randomly. Um, here, they overtly worship the gods as great spirits, in- including Stormbull and Wahab and, and all of those. They've all got much more uh, spirit parts, in, and, that, and that's reflected in the RuneQuest rules. Mm. Um, you have to realize, of course, that um, Cults of Prax is kind of the map for nomad gods, yeah, in, in a kind of strange twist, of course, Cults of Prax is literally the Cults of Prax, uh, <laughs> as opposed to the Cults of Dragon Pass, uh, which you'd have thought it. Yeah. So um, a, a lot of a lot of nomad gods is directly in Cults of Prax, um, in its structure as such. Cool. So when when you look at it, um, Greg did write quite a bit um, about um, the way the Praxians work with spirits as opposed to the gods as such. So a lot of that, I'm afraid to say, I don't think was published, but he described things like um, how the tribes, uh, move, how the clans move around and move their herds um, with, a, with a shaman out the front, looking into the spirit world to see where is most bountiful and stuff like that. Mm. Okay. So yeah, so, it, it's, yeah, it's more shamanism than, than gods. Right. So when the people of, say, Sartar are trying to, you know, find their way around everyday life, like, you know, uh, harvesting and planting and um, uh, and all that, they turn to their 
uh, gods for divine blessings and and signs and stuff like that, or attractions, they turn to spirits. Is that the yeah? Fear? That's basically it. But the, but the spirits are the gods. Yeah. The big okay. the big spirits are the gods. It's just a different aspect of the same thing. Right. But I think at the same time, it gives the Praxian access to quite a lot more of spirit cards uh, from various sources. Mm-hmm. So they may be more versatile in their divine magic than a Sartorite. They're more multi-classed? Yeah. <laughs> but, but one thing that Greg did clearly state and um, is that that is also their flaw. <laughs> their, their, their tie to the spirit world is actually their flaw because they don't have as much access to the great gods um, in their forms. Sure. How that manifests in the game is is never actually told, but um, right. That that's their flaw. Yeah. Well, I guess you can't you can't really hero quest um, spirit cults, and so you have access to less powerful boons and blessings and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. You you can hero quest spirit cults definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 can. <laughs> it's just I don't. The boons aren't as great, I think, is the um, and the spirits of the spirit cults are more likely to be your allies than your um, what's the word? Do- yeah, mm, cool. It's, it's just it's just a different concept. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a bit about um, uh, spirit movements because um, I guess like a whole bunch of counters are um, spirits and they um, play a bit differently. But then indeed, like you said, we get to the shamans, which, uh, and you know, shamans and their fetch are a big part of um, the new RuneQuest rules. And they're actually pretty cool and powerful, actually. But we, here we see um, where, I guess, the mechanics came from. Like, this is probably like the first time Glorinth and shamans had been put into numbers, um, and and also a bit about their social position because yeah, each tribe has like a dominant sh- uh, shaman, right? Yeah, so so each tribe has um, Khan, a shaman, and uh, my mind's gone blank. Well, uh, the shaman, the, the, Khan. The, the, the three tribal deities. Uh, yeah, those are five special or well, six special counters. The shaman has two counters. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because each tribe also has like a founder and a um ancestor and a protectress. Ancestor and protectress, yes, yeah. So the the bit that got me uh laughing a bit though is that very quickly, like in the first paragraph about shamans, they still say that um the shamans are a crazed and rabid people more than a little mad from their contacts with the gods. Um, so are shamans all like weird, crazy people then? Um, maybe, (laughs) Uh, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to say because, um, at the time Greg's work with shamanism wasn't as developed as it was later. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of, a lot of the spirit stuff in, later RuneQuest drew, drew directly upon Greg's own experiences. And although he kind of um, ate mythology and wrote about it from that context, I would say that his his 
spirit information wasn't as developed as it was later here. If you look at the anthropology texts uh, written by uh, old school anthropologists in the 19th century or stuff, their their concept of shamans was they they were just mad people who claimed to do certain things. Um, however, there's some if you look at modern day anthropology accounts, there's a quite a well known. Um, specialist in shamanism called Michael Harner that some people may know of. And he spent uh, time in the Amazon rainforest working with indigenous uh, peoples and looking at their shamanism. And he tells an excellent story of um, uh, talking to the shamans about their contact with spirits and how it works and all of that kind of stuff. And he points to a, a, a guy in the corner who's talking to himself and talking to the spirits and is just rabbiting on and, um, and says, you know, is he a shaman? And uh, the shaman turns around and says, no, he's actually mad. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, nice. so even it, w- within shamanism uh, and, and to kind of dial that back into modern terms, um, being a shaman doesn't necessarily mean you have mental health issues, yeah. um, but people with mental health issues aren't necessarily shaman either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A shaman probably is someone who's uh, constantly on the uh, invisible iPhone and talking to the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. Um, I think it's probably worth putting my cards on the table here and yeah. saying that I've worked with shamanism for over 25 years and um, taught it and experienced it and worked with it and worked with Greg with it. Mm-hmm. And I would say that um, uh, to be a shaman is to actually be in control of your contact with the spirits. Um, you decide when you are shamanizing and when you're not. That's not necessarily a good word. And <laughs> so if you can't control when it happens, um, then you're not a shaman. So shamanism is a toolkit for working with the spirits. And if you haven't got the toolkit and the spirits are talking to you and you are interacting with it all the time um, and you're on your invisible iPhone, then actually you're not a shaman. So I, I would say in that case, you're, they're not always on their invisible iPhone. They're on their iPhone when they choose to be to the spirits. Mm. And that's, that's the most important part. Um, anyway, and um, if people want to know, want to learn more about like uh, um, uh, real world shamanism, I know that you uh, recommended a couple times in the past uh, the uh, Mircea Eliad uh, book on um, what's it called again, uh, shamanism and the ecstasy of the something I techniques. Oh, techniques of ecstasy, yes. Techniques of ecstasy, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, right. um, Eliada was um, an interesting bloke. Um, his book is not readable in the normal sense of the word um, <laughs> because, because it's, a, it's a learned document that contains all kinds of examples pertaining to different themes. And so it's very good to dip in and... Um, mm-hmm. It's very good to dip in and look at the ideas that surround certain aspects of shamanism, like initiation or what kinds of spirits and or death practices. But mm. reading it cover to cover is just nightmarish. Um, I, I foolishly did it once, 
and then okay. realized that uh, I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. My understanding is that the book is dated in some places, like, and, and even the author, Mirza Eliad, is, has a few, you know, problematic aspects <clears throat> that came to my light later, but the book is still a good reference, if not anthropologically, but um, at least for, you know, for uh, material for gaming. Yeah, the information is good. Some of the interpretations aren't so good. And right. um, th that's where a lot of the old work falls down. But there's lots and lots of other um, information on shamanism that's more freely available. Um, yeah. Well, if you have like, you know, one or two that comes to mind and we can put it in the show notes for people. Um, yeah. So one of the, um, I'll, I'll do this now rather than later. So looking at resources uh, for making shamanism and spirit work more colorful, I have a marvelous book called... Amulets, Sacred Charms of Power and Protection. I think I've seen you also recommend this by yeah. Sheila Payne. Sheila Payne, this is right. And this is a kind of a picture book of charms and, oh, nice. and stuff. So it's, it's a, a glossy uh, book um, full of pictures. And I think the best way of describing it is it's a way of dressing up your characters. But it's, it's multicultural as such. It's not just from one culture. It covers symbology and paintings and uh, icons and figures. So um, any, any book on symbology would be good, but that's a particularly good one because it has uh, pictures. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the information if you can't find it. Um, you can often get it from libraries. It may be available online as well. Cool. Yeah, and this one looks definitely more um, uh, mainstream than... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's much more, um, if you're familiar with the Dorling Kindersley uh, visual guides, it's right. a bit yeah. like that. Yeah. Cool. So, awesome. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to be looking through the folklore collections of museums, which is not as exciting. Trying to find <laughs> something that was interesting. But, uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's the, the real thing about shamans. They are, um, even in nomad gods, they're powerful. Um, but they probably are slightly crazed and rabid and more than a little mad from their contacts with gods. And the, the important thing um, about this is that... Um, Shamans work with the spirits, and the spirits have their own agenda, even in Glorantha. And the agenda of spirits may not match the real world expectations of people. So trying to bend something to your power is just like bending a god to your power. If you can do it, great. But if you can't do it, you've got that continual internal conflict. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I think they're um, they're talking about, and also if you, you're kind of touching the numinous, you know, you're touching something um, which is greater than you and beyond human ken. So that that's what I think it's uh, referring to. Um, so, uh, I think you have, um, for each shaman, there's also like a, a counter for the fetch and just like in RuneQuest, you can have the fetch do something else or they can do stuff together. Uh, but next is the soul, soul wins, which is something that I haven't seen mentioned elsewhere, I think. 
Can you tell us a bit more about it? Um, the problem with the salt winds is that they are a kind of shaman power weapon in this game. Um, you effectively, um, I think you, I can't, do you know what? I can't remember, but you can basically um, lose the shaman. It's a kind of um, mutually assured destruction weapon. And it's probably, in RuneQuest terms, uh, there's only a few of them have this power. As a matter of fact, we can say only the tribal shamans have these powers and only the greater ones. And basically, they have to tra travel beyond the normal spirit world to get them. And they need a greater spirit to release the soul one too. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think you have to ally with one of the great spirits, which in the board game are uh, Dark Eater, Malia, Oakfed, Wild Hunter, or Zola Fell. Uh, and I guess we'll, you know, talk about those uh, a bit later because they're described in the book. It's, yeah, you, you're getting a, an alliance with a powerful spirit and then you get like big powers to, um, uh, to unleash on the, on the board. It's it's only three counters that let you do it. It's Oakfed, Malia, and the Wild Hunter. Yeah. Oh, I thought the other ones. Um... The other ones are on the French edition. Oh. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay. If it's a special power of the main tribal shaman, then um, maybe we'll see it in the some upcoming fraction book. Personally, I found it easier to ignore it than to use it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's one of those things that is a, a kind of board game mechanism uh, yeah. for small yeah. characters to do a big amount of damage just just to reflect that they're actually much more powerful than people realize um i would suggest that within uh runequest glorantha that you just ignore it for the time being and this is something that you would obtain by hero questing yeah fair enough and um And is and is difficult to manage and is likely to end up in your death. Um, and works once as well, yeah. <laughs> right. So next we have a bunch of pages detail um describing various spirits of Prax. So there are the water spirits, the fire spirits, air, darkness, earth, and plus a couple of miscellaneous ones. So it's probably worth mentioning that um, nearly all of these will appear or have appeared as cult write-ups, spirit cult write-ups. And uh, here's where I have to uh, sort out my uh, familiarity with the French stuff too, because the French really have balanced all the five elements. Okay. Moon being a little weaker. But that's uh, some artif uh, artifice uh, for the Dionomart. Right. Wait, there are no moon spirits in Nomad Gods in, in my role uh, in the PDF. No, uh, not, not in the original one. Uh, the Radio Nomad has a bronze treasure, which is the planet uh, Tolat or Shagash as a lunar spirit. It has uh, the twin stars. Cool, okay. Uh, it has the Book of Dale and I think the Redwood spirit. Oh, and you're doing all this by memory? I'm doing all this by memory. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. You're... Yeah, I'm a sh uh... <laughs> or, or a shaman, maybe. No, yeah, I'm a mystic. I'm a mystic. Uh, mystic, I'm, okay. 
not a dangerous one, but <laughs> you're spending way too much time on Gloria and Get a life, anyway. Uh... <laughs> so um, there were no uh, lunar spirits in the original, as Jörg said. Um, yeah. However, they are in Worms' footnotes. Oh, okay. And I'm just going to pull up. Um, I think it's the Book of Dale. Just bear with me. All right. And uh, Worms footnotes are also available in PDF now uh, from Chaosium, so people can also get those. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think it's four. Red Moon in Prax, page 46. Oh, yeah. Lunar Empire in Prax, page 48, with new units on page 49 of Worms footnotes number four. Yes. The Twin Stars, the Book of Dale, the Watchdog of Corflu. Right. That's it. It's only those three. So it's worth remembering that um, in the Nomad Gods sheets, the counters were there for the Lunars. Oh, okay. So the counters were on the sheets, but they just weren't explained. <laughs> and uh, as as to as to why, um, it's probably I've no idea, but it, they they've appeared later. Okay, so anyway, the among the water, fire, air, darkness, earth spirits, uh, and plus a few others like Ronons, some had a fairly sizable write-up in some RPG book, like a hero quest book, or even in some cases rune quest books. Others only had like brief mentions, and others are only mentioned in in passing. Uh, is it a reflection of their importance in Prax or mostly a reflection of like this cult was needed for this scenario, but not this other one? And it's most of them are, um, I, it, without going through them. So in the water spirits, river horse, frog woman and dew maid all have write ups as spirit cults, spirits of fire, oak fed, is um, a major cult in some parts of Glorantha, but a minor uh, spirit cult in other parts, such as Pratt's. Sunhawk um, is one of the three feathered rivals. That's a spirit cult. Polestar um, is a major cult here, but effectively a, um, a spirit cult. Evening Star, Morning Star are spirit cults. They all get write ups. The War Arrow Medicine Bundle is one of these things, which is a magic item. And, uh, yeah, Nomad God has those medicine bundles, which I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, you know, looking forward to use as MacGuffins in one scenario or another. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I would probably treat them uh, as plunder items uh, right. in the plunder format, and that's exactly what they are. But the thing is, they are kind of tribal-based items as opposed to something that an individual would want in a game. It's not, they're not like the magic sword. So the war medicine, uh, the war arrow medicine bundle is useless to an individual. But right. if your tribe has the bundle, it allows you to have better skirmishing abilities. Cool. So the medicine, medicine bundles are a, a concept in um, some indigenous cultures where you have literally a bundle of your sacred goods that embody the spirits that you can access. So in, in Prax, you would have a tribal medicine bundle. 
you would have uh, clan medicine bundles, you would have cult medicine bundles, and you would probably have individual medicine bundles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within that, you would have sacred objects related to what you what you were about. And these medicine, uh, these uh, big medicine bundles, they uh, look to me like remnants from the Golden Age. In this case, yes, because it's said to have belonged to the sun himself before he was slain. No, uh, and, I, mean, um, I mean the other ones, like comb leather or whatever the uh, symbols they may have. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 leftovers, effectively. Uh, from that time. I, to be honest, I wouldn't read too much into them because part of it is that they they appear and disappear throughout history and they may reappear as something different with the same power. That was, uh, that was uh, uh, something I spoke to Greg about. So the War Arrow Medicine Bundle might be one time, uh, uh, you know, a, a gigantic three-foot-long golden arrow uh, that looks pretty cool, like off a like off a giant statue, but then may appear again as uh, a tiny bow mm. uh, held by a golden man in a statue, and then it may disappear again and reappear just as a flint arrowhead that you know shimmers with magic. So these things. These things embody a medicine bundle embodies magical power, but the item it actually is is not necessarily constant because it's a spirit mm. artifact. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. A reincarnating artifact. Um, well, I would say the power. The whole point of medicine bundle objects is that the thing in the bundle is an embodiment of what it does rather than the actual thing. Yeah. So the war arrow medicine bundle contains the spirit of the war arrow. It's a, probably a better way of putting it. Okay. And um, it, it just manifests itself in different forms. Cool. Um, um, yeah. Spirits of the air is, is Gagarth, the wild hunter. Uh, there's a, there's a write up of that. Uh, Thunderbird, another spirit cult. Lightning Boy, we all know, is um, actually part of Orlanth now. He's a spirit cult as well. Mistress Calm and, uh, is a, another spirit cult. And then we get on to uh, Tarda Sandals. And um, Tarda has a whole load of uh, parts, his grisly parts, that are effectively um, giant objects that embody the power of the dead golden age hero effectively and the point about these is if you collect them all in the game and get them up up onto tada's mount you get some magical units uh, to use in the game um in in the actual uh, in in prax now uh, these items are held by certain tribes i can imagine that they are just a bit of a pain uh, to carry around Uh, because they are meant to be giant objects. So Tada's sandals are like, you know, five meter long sandals. I yeah, they could be. I I don't I don't, really haven't thought about it. But they might also be one of these things that, you know, they they come from the spirit world and um, they're they're they can become big when you need them to be big, so as to speak. Mm, okay. There's a there's a that that I might explain later. <laughs> um, 
uh, Rainbow Girl is the last. She's a spirit cop. Most of these, by the way, are either in the upcoming Prosopedia or in the spirit cult section of the upcoming Cults of Glorantha. And many of the original write-ups uh, first appeared in the uh, Praxian Tales of the Reaching Moon editions that came out in the 90s. There were three articles that covered spirit cults of Prax, and they were the first real write-ups, uh, the tales we got permission to to write them, uh, to, to, to publish them. Um Spirits of Darkness, The White Princess, Inora, another spirit cult, or an actual cult itself. And then there's another uh, Tarda's Grizzly portions, Tarda's Cudgel. And uh, Tarda's Cudgel is actually a giant uh, club, uh, but Greg always said it was his penis. <laughs> okay. Um, and um, it, it is huge, and it is so big it slows down any person carrying it. Um, and if you read what it says, there's all kinds of um, kind of between the lines stuff. It was a gift from an ancient priestess of the Aldrami and held him in good stead until he tried to kill Ragnaglar with it. So it's 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 one of these things that has two purposes. But it is huge, and um, any unit that carries it is at minus one. Yeah, in movement. That's uh, a movement. Yeah. yeah cool. um, Malia is, of course, um, the major deity uh, of plague, the mother of plague. She brings the plague units into play. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in Nomad Gods, the Praxians can ally Malia and send her yeah. against other units. Which, which is cool. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's a cool idea to have disease on your side. Yeah. And don't don't forget, Malia is only chaotic when worshipped by Brew. Yeah, Malia is in fact just a, a, a death a goddess as such. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She's a part of the cycle of life. You know. That's right. And um, in in the the kind of way of looking at Malia, Malia has um, three runes. She has uh, death, darkness, and with the Brew's chaos, mm-hmm. and. Um, Death is the embodiment of, of all the major diseases that kill you pretty quickly in RuneQuest. But darkness is the embodiment of all the minor diseases like the sniffles and blotches. And chaos is plague. Right. And the next counter is plague, actually, because you can you can unleash plague on your opponent. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just very unpleasant, to say the least. So <laughs> this is an example of um it's a bit like the soul winds it's a it's a kind of big unit in some respects in a board war game uh, as opposed to um something which is actually playable in a role playing game yeah cool. um the spirits of earth are next um there's all kinds of little bits and pieces in here um it's where we get three bean circus uh, which is the uh, in RuneQuest is the source of the peace rune spell, okay. uh, which basically puts makes people put down all of their um, their weapons and put down violence and just listen to cool things. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think it's um, I don't think it's too hard to imagine that that's just a peace pipe and what's in it on the counter. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, three bean circus. <clears throat> does exist and it's a it's a spirit cult uh ronance is another a spirit cult god of fertility 
He appears in um, Cults of Prax. Mm-hmm. Um, Waha, of course, is Waha and um, is written up in Cults of Prax. And he's one of the gods in RuneQuest rulebook. Or the main god of the Praxians who teaches the way of Waha. Um, he's a normal spirit. And um, the Good Shepherd is uh, um, another one that appears, spirit cult that appears in uh, um, Cults of Prax and is part of um, the Aritha cult at the Paps. Then we get two other strange pieces. The Horn of Plenty is another one of these magical items, yeah. uh, one of the seven great magics of Prax that yet again manifests itself and basically provides support Uh, which is a a concept in Nomad Gods in which if you don't have support, uh, your units effectively disappear. So this, the Horn of Plenty, is another um, MacGuffin that I suspect that if a a clan or tribe holds it, then the other tribes will raid for it because it just makes their life easier. Um, The Serpent Guardians uh, finally make a reappearance in the RuneQuest Bestiary as um, uh, one of the Earth Temple defenders. Uh, basically women-headed snakes. The other other spirit's found child is the hunter uh, that's been in RuneQuest for a long time. Uh, Father of Independence, um, Raven, are um, minor uh, spirit cults. Uh, uh, Father of Independence is part of, um, is actually the psychopomp of the Praxian, Praxian pantheon who knows how to cross the dead Dead place. Uh, Raven, another spirit cult, one of the three feathered rivals. Then we get on to the horned god, who is uh, perhaps one of the most important uh, beings in shamanism in uh, the whole of Glorantha, because the horned god is the uh, entity that teaches shamanism and chooses shamans. Right. So in, in the in the RuneQuest rules, when you when your assistant shaman finally initiates into being a full fledged shaman, the, the in the rules they say you meet the, the horned man, uh, and that's the that's the horned god here. Yeah, and it's important to understand that um, the horned god, be he man, woman, or whatever entity, um, doesn't doesn't have a cult. Right. They just teach the actual techniques of shamanism, how to enter the spirit world, how to deal with spirits, all of the etiquette uh, of the spirit world. And the, the, all of the spirit cults of Glorantha are the horned gods' subcults, effectively. Mm. So the horned god has no cult of its own, except for all the spirit cults. <laughs> okay. Uh, so a lot of people in the past have had this idea that the horned god is actually a cult, and lots of people have written up ideas that the horned god provides this, that, and the other. Um, if the horned god provides anything, it's only discorporation. Okay. Right. Um, just how to enter the spirit world. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's a he's a very powerful. Um, a very, very powerful entity and um, quite important in that respect in uh, in RuneQuest. There's a box in RuneQuest that tells you um, how he um, encounter, how he escaped chaos 
and how chaos spawned uh, the bad man who is his adversary. Right, uh, which also and, shows up in your shaman initiation. Yeah, uh, that's you have, right. You have and to um, fight the bad man. Yeah, or, or you fight a mask of the bad man who appears as your appropriate enemy. So, for example, for Chalana Aroy shaman, um, you would probably have Malia. Right. as your great, uh, uh, who, who you fight as the bad man. The bad man is, uh, uh, Malia is a, a mask of the bad man. Right. Um, Although I guess if, if, you are, if you are a brew shaman, the, uh, the bad man is your horn man and the horn man is, is the horn the god, yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah so, a, a horn god always appears as whoever is, a, whoever is appropriate, male or female, but with horns. Okay. And... Um, yeah, so for example, the Lunars, um, if you're a ja uh, Jackalil initiate becoming a shaman, um, the bad man is Gabaji. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> but that, that's just a mask of the bad man. Um, Brother Dog is a spirit cult uh, that we'll see in the Presbypedia. Hyena. Um, hyena is a bit strange because uh, I don't <laughs> think Hyena appears as a spirit cult. Hyena is... Um, it says here an odd, an odd, odd creature. creature. Yeah, hyena was um, made by Gnert, who was the uh, original god of the northern continent, which we get the name Genatella from, and was made by Gnert so that because he knew he was going to die, hyena would eat his body parts. Yeah, and. Um, I can't, you know, I think hyena is a spirit cult and I can't remember what the ability is, but hyena is also important if you want to resurrect Gnert because uh, you, of course, there's a whole thing that Greg wrote about yeah, all these hyenas. Yeah, uh, all these hyenas vomiting up into a gigantic mold, the parts of uh, Gnert to make something new. And that's, um, that's perhaps for something else. I can I can find you the link to that description um, should you need it. I think the um, spare was group laughter or something like that. Yeah, group laughter. That's right. Yeah, um, whirlwishes are are the um, spirits used by Gagarth. That's in their write up, and that takes us on neatly to creatures of chaos. Right. So before we get to creatures of chaos, I had some um, you know questions or. Select, sure. uh, um, select spirits to dive into. Maybe uh, Jörg has uh, also a, a few particular ones, but I'm going to start. I was really uh, fascinated by the sort of uh, rock, paper, scissor dynamic of the three feathered rivals, right? With um, the Sunhawk, Thunderbird and Raven, where um, I don't remember, like basically one always overcomes the other, but it goes in a circle. So it's, it's basically like rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, I had not seen that really uh, much before, and it's cool. I don't know how to use it in in an RPG, really, but uh, but I found it funny. I wonder if Praxian kids play, you know, <laughs> that instead of rock paper scissors. They basically um, appear as spirit cults, and the thing about their spirit cults is that each person's rune spell can overcome the other's rune spell. 
so it's it's actually not more complicated than you think. I'm just going to look but at so the spirit does, does it mean that all tribes would want, um, you know, shamans or uh, members of all three cults just for when they raid other tribes who would also have people of those cults? It's a bit, I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Uh, so the, the, um, the way I was, uh, I would structure um, spirit cults in prax is, uh, reflects the real world of shamanism. So one of the things that we're missing in RuneQuest is the concept of the spirit society. It was touched on a little bit in Hero Wars and Hero, Hero Quest Glorantha, uh, mainly because I was involved in Hero Quest Glorantha. There's um, a couple chapters on spirit societies, I think, in the yeah. book. Or wait, what, what's and the difference between the spirit cult and the spirit society? A spirit society is a collection of spirit cults. So if we if we talk about it in Glorantha, in RuneQuest terms. A spirit uh, society is a collection of culturally similar spirit cults. So, if we look at if we look at the real world shamanism, you often find that there are in some cultures, indigenous cultures, there is a, a men's spirit society uh, and a women's spirit society. And within that spirit society, there are a group of spirits that support that particular role in society. I mean, using a gender split is probably the easiest to understand. So um, the women's spirit society may include spirits to support in childbirth or um, uh, running running the, the family in a matriarchal society. Um, but it, it's, it's, they're not worshipped individually, they're worshipped as a whole. Okay. Um, likewise, the men's society might include, you know, Fighting people um, might include um, mm -hmm. your occupation, like hunting or farming, but they're kind of all grouped together and not worshipped separately. So in Prax, the easiest way to approach this would be to have um, elemental spirit, spirit societies um, that group the elemental spirits together, much like they're grouped in um, nomad gods. Okay, and so people might only worship one of those three feathered rivals just because they are, you know, mostly in the, say, uh, spirit of fire, spirit society. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly it. And, um, the, the easiest way that I run, um, spirit societies in, uh, prax is that, um, they're, they're led effectively by a charismatic shaman who runs all of the spirit cults, uh, together, by the way, You can worship. So if you worship Oaks Bed as a spirit society, you don't have to belong to the spirit. Uh, sorry, as a spirit cult, you don't have to belong to the spirit society. It's purely a, an organizational thing. But what the spirit society does is it allows you to have a combined rune pool. Mm, okay. That's that's the main thing. So when so you join the society, you, why would you join a spirit cult specifically? Then, precisely, you <laughs> might just want some aspect, some aspect of it. And I would point out that not all Praxians join these spirit societies. They're quite specialized in that respect. So if you look at, um, uh, say, the Water Spirit Society, 
Um, you could you would have a mixed rune pool between the three spirits there and Zodafel. So all of these spirit societies are headed by a big spirit. So the water spirit society is headed by Zolafel as the biggest water spirit in Prax. But under Zolafel, you'd have River Horse and Frog Woman and Dew Maid. And the rune, single rune spells you get from them, you could, you could spend your rune points freely between them all once you've initiated to one. By the way, you, you can't... There's a little bit more to the, to the way it works, is that if you join the Water Spirit Society, the first point would go to Zodafel, but you couldn't cast any of River Horse's magic until you bought a point of River Horse. And then you could spend them freely between the two. And then you couldn't spend any of uh, Frog Woman's until you'd spent another rune point. And don't forget there... Each tribe probably has its own um, version of the spirit society. So, for example, the high llamas are always strong in the water rune. And so the biggest um, water spirit society will be in the high llamas, um, whereas all the other tribes will have smaller splinters. Yeah. Um, are these spirit societies uh, pan-tribal, like the warrior societies? or Yeah, they... yeah, they are. They are certainly because basically the the other the other tribes um, they're effectively splinters. I would call them. They just don't have the number of people, uh, and so they would come together for large rituals. So um, rather than writing them up as a full cult in RuneQuest, um, it's effectively run by a charismatic shaman. But so you you end up with that charismatic shaman having some authority on a pan-tribal group which yeah. muddies furthermore all of the politics of <laughs> yeah uh, yeah of course yeah tribe. yeah this is awesome um, the one <laughs> the one thing the one thing that uh, other than the so mechanically the only thing you get other than the shared rune pool is you can learn the spirit uh, learn the rune magic of discorporation mm, okay Because um, one of the one of the problems we have at the moment, uh, which is addressed somewhat in the uh, cuts of Glorantha, is that if you're a spirit-based society, um, you can't really participate in any of the spirit rituals because you can't discorporate. Right, and um, that's addressed now because um, all assistant shaman in cults that have shaman have access to discorporation. That's that's a that's a, an addition, but I've I use the spirit societies as a way of you can buy discorporation um, in an in an organized way. Yeah, I mean, it looks to me like mechanically speaking, spirit societies are going to be uh, pretty interesting, actually. To yeah, yeah, to. but they're they're also uh, a spirit society has to have at least two spirits in it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so in in Sata, there's probably the equivalent of an air spirit society headed by uh, Kolat and any other wind spirits as well, because Kolat isn't uh, a, a cult in um, Sata. He's just another spirit cult that lets you summon elementals. So it means that um, the spirit society of the wind spirit society is effectively uh, a little bit more, but there's so few people who are members of it, it. It doesn't really matter, but it's a good story hook. 
it's this is this is something I've done um, basically to so you can use the spirits of fire, uh, the spirits of air, um, spirits of darkness. Uh, in some meaningful way to actually bring the original nomad gods into um, some kind of playable way. So the water spirits are headed by Zolafel, the spirits of fire are headed by Oakfed, um, the spirits of air are led by... Oh, the spirits of air don't exist, that's the whole point. Oh, what? Because they're, <laughs> all part, they're all part of the Orlanth cult. Oh, in Saltar, you mean? Or no, in no, Prax. in um, in Prax, yeah. Um, oh, okay. So Thunderbird, Thunderbird is part of uh, Thunderbird and Lightning Boy and all the others are actually part of uh, Orlanth so, because the cult do exists. St- do you still get the shared runepool mechanic in that case? Um, no, because it's Orlanth. <laughs> That's the exception. Orlanth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, don't forget, Orlanth was the major cult during the First Age. Um, the other thing I did was I I split um, the spirits of fire into two groups. And um, one group is called the Burners, led by Oakfed, who is all about setting fire in the physical world. And the other one are the Stargazers, who look at the stars and the star right, captains. Like, uh... So pop- Pole star, pole star, star and, morning star. Yeah. By the way, is that is that the same pole star as the one that Kalir Starbro um, yeah. got on yeah. her forehead? Um, and yeah, and pole star is important in Prax uh, and the wastes. People don't realize this. Um, we've got two pole star holy places in the wastes. Uh, one is um, pole star mountain up in the north, and the other one is. Star Crystal Mountain. It's it yeah, sounds there's, there's like actually... uh, it, it sounds like attractions at Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they probably are, and they are actually on the map in the guide as well. They're in the guide. Okay, cool. So, yeah, they're places in the guide. Uh, so, so Pole Star did come down um, in the Great Darkness and help in Prax. Are they important there because it's like the wastes are big and large, and you don't want to get lost, and you need some. Star to Pole Star only gives. Um, let me just look it up. So all spirit cults generally give one rune spell, and um, Pole Star gives Captain Souls, and Captain Souls. Um, yeah, it might be in. It should Is be it in, in the, the red, red book. book? Of, it should be in the red book. Yes, here we are, Captain Souls. And uh, as you can see, it's a kind of morale-based... Um, it lets you communicate one-way one way transmission of conscious thought, magic points, and spell knowledge from the caster to the targets. Hmm, okay. So that's the kind of thing that you would use in a unit. Um, Yelmalian, Praxian Yelmalians would also worship Polestar to get hold of that kind of thing. Oh, cool. So it's a it's a great unit unit um, morale boosting thing. This is how uh, Kalir manages to get people to follow her. Uh, maybe I don't. I, I think that Kalir's um, the whole Starbrow thing is different because she had direct contact with Polestar, having gone to the sky to mm. meet him. Um, I think this is a very good example of. The same, the same entity providing different things. So when worshipped as a spirit cult, 
he gives this. But um, yeah. in the upcoming Cults of Glorantha, uh, Polestar is a whole cult. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and the Praxians and the Pantons and Darahatons uh, have him as a major deity. And Yeah. Okay. So dep depending on, on what worship tradition you follow some entity you might get more or different things uh, i guess it's a, a bit like the worshiping yelmalio as fraction yelmalio versus old school elmal or whatever it, it gives you slightly different yeah. powers and, and i'm just I'm, uh, polaris is um the cult um he's one of the great um Oh, right. He's, a, he's a basically a war god in the empire. And if you worship him, so, so it, he's got the runes of harmony, light, and stasis, whereas in Prax, he's just got the, the sky rune as such. So if you worship him as the full cult um, in um, the Lunar Empire, you get a whole load of spells such as uh, arrow of light, call on stars, shooting star, star sight, star walk, and summon fire elementals. He's a war god with lots of stars, so he's the Star Wars yeah. god. He is the Star Wars god. That's <laughs> exactly right. That's, uh, yeah. So it yes, it, it. It's, it's, it was worth it. I'm just can't believe you did that. So yeah, um, it, it, it's worth noting that any of these spirit cults might be a full cult somewhere else, and vice versa. And this is this is also an important thing if you're working with um, shamans and spirit cults, not just in Prax, is that you can turn any god into a spirit cult. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a chance a shaman can contact the greater god and obtain a small amount of his power. So I would say, you know, you can um, yell Malio does exist in the wastes we know that as sun daughter um but you can effectively worship yelmalio as a spirit cult and get a single piece of magic which might be cat's eye or something yep you can have several spirit cults uh, from the same deity uh which would not be the same and uh, give different spells you could yes but um i wouldn't let the same deity exists side by side so you could get all the spirits all, all the spells from the deity if you see <laughs> right. what i mean that, that well, that's uh, well, that's uh, not it, in this it happened with orland and uh, sufficiently uh ambitious hero questers could do the same with a different deity yeah yeah well yeah. i mean if you're hero questing in... you can you can break rules that's the whole point yeah, of hero yeah, questing the... yeah well you can you write can break rules. rules yeah right yes so so that was um that's basically um spirit societies um mm. and you can find out i wrote quite a bit about them on um, brp central yeah. and you can find uh, i did a, a cult chart of all of them together so you can see all the relationship between them all that you might want to link to yes but um it should be stressed that these are the spirit uh, societies are all very minor and they're so minor that people looking in from the outside wouldn't notice them, if you okay. see what I mean. They're, they're much like spirit cults aren't really noticeable on the outside. Um, and are they minor know. in terms of uh, membership? Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
I worked out some numbers. Uh, Dachafal is is one of the largest cults in in Prax. Yeah. yeah. So by comparison, but but what you would find is that the Dachafal shaman may well also run the local um, may ru- also run the local spirit society. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's this idea that shaman aren't just um, working with one particular thing. Um, so if you're a da- if you're a Dakafal shaman or a Waha shaman, it's very likely that you're a member of other spirit cults beyond that, and that you are also, if you're powerful enough, in charge of a spirit society. Yeah. So the the power structure of a shaman would be, um, if you're a cult shaman, you're already on the ladder, but you want more power to become the tribal shaman. So the tribal shaman are the ones likely to head up these spirit uh, societies. Cool. And um, I mean, that's the, that's the powerful thing about shamans, right? That they can, they can deal with multiple spirits and and things like that. Yeah. So if you were doing a shaman NPC, I would never just make it about the cult they're a member of. If we're leaving Prax for a short moment and look to Balazar, is Blueface uh, something like uh, how we could imagine a tribal shaman? In, uh, Who is Blueface? Is that uh, is that an NPC in Griffin? That's Mountain? the uh, main uh, the main shaman in Balazar or in the other world. Okay. Um, I I think the um, Blueface, yes, but Blueface is a kind of. Um, he was done before we really understood uh, more about how the spirit world works. So, for example, I'm just opening uh, Blueface up so as to speak. Um, Blueface is slightly um, weird because he is, he's got hero quest abilities. And rather than having um, lots of shaman abilities, he he concentrates more on. He, he's a he's a Rune Quest two classic shaman with lots of um, rune powers. He he he's got special abilities as well, but he's not as rounded as he should be. Mm-hmm. And in the strange, yeah, he's a, a hunter, brother, dog, shaman, priest. I would probably give him more spirits, if that makes any sense. He's only got minor stuff attached to him, whereas actually he should be not necessarily much more powerful. He should have a, a greater range of spirits. So, if, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. If, if he, I was building... He already has, um, I mean, for those who want to follow it, in Griffin Mountain, page um, 67... <laughs> Uh, but he, he already has like you know half a dozen bound spirits plus his fetch yeah. plus controlled spirits uh, and stuff. It's it's not too bad, no. Yeah, and he also has um, special powers as well, which is part of shamanism as well. Uh, the new yeah. rules, but he's he's kind of um, not rounded out enough. The best example of a shaman that we yeah. have is in Heroes magazine. Oh, okay. Which I don't know if you have. Uh, let me just... I have that 
Um, it's the infamous Avenger Ant issue. Avenger Ant? <laughs> so um, as a slight digression, Avalon Hill, to support uh, RuneQuest, basically um, had a house magazine called Heroes. And in the very last edition, there were 10 editions. I mean, to be honest, Heroes is worth tracking down. Yes. I'm just. If you haven't got it, Ludo, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on I've, the screen. I've, I've got. Um, I've got some unofficial PDFs. Yeah, um, volume two, number four. Yeah, and um, it, it's got one of those adventures by numbers again, um, starring Avenger Ant, a comic flow adventure story by um, Richard Snyder. And it's it's kind of breaks the whole article up by um, Avenger Ant is on every page. <laughs> so it's a bit distracting. But uh, one of the things it has on page 15 is uh, the shaman Leona, who is a Basmoli shaman who has a really good backstory. Oh, and so Basmoli, those are all the, uh, uh, the what is it, the lion shunshun? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. And I'm not necessarily saying that what is, um, the way she's built is of any use, but what it does <laughs> is it has all of her spirits detailed. Okay. Uh, for RuneQuest 3, and... Rather than just like, um, so for example, with Blueface, it just has the name of the spirit, the int, and the pow, and that's it. Right. And um, Leona's spirit uh, is, for example, she's got a spirit called um, Hotek, who is a friendly spirit, and it's it's the shaman's mother. Um, mm -hmm. And it has the full detail of, of her mother, sorry, it's her grandfather, she actually has her grandfather as one of her spirits mm. and some background details and the magic. And it's also got the spirit of her dead daughter who was being groomed for shamanhood when she died. And, um, it, it, you know, um, her grandmother who is a shaman. So rather than just listing these spirits off as, as entities that are just mechanical RuneQuest stats, this this one is done properly as it actually has the backstory for all of the spirits. Although you end and, up with a NPC stat block that is three pages long though. <laughs> you, you you do, but you'd have once you've removed Avenger Ant, <laughs> um, it's much it's it's much shorter. But it also has uh, so the whole article is um quite good except it says that um shamans tend to be loners and um that's not true and shamans tend to be uncivilized that's not true um we've got people who uh who haven't looked at cultural shamanism so so in real life shamans aren't loners they are social because they fulfill a role in society which is normally that of a healer right yeah. or uh, they are community-based so yeah, this is a very good example. If, if if you can get hold of a copy, there's copies available to buy. It's not that expensive, but it does have um, 
Leona in it and her full page of stats, uh, perhaps we can get permission for you to have a little bit of her to show some, one of her spirits in detail. Mm, As a matter okay. of fact, I, I, I would actually say pick one of her spirits, mm-hmm. like um, uh, 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 one of the ghosts, and just use just use the description, like Hotek, for example, because it's nice for people to see how um, these are fleshed out. We have um, these are all copyright Chaosium, by the way. We have the we we own the rights to all the Glorantin material, and so yeah, please yeah, pick one of them and show it, but not all awesome. of them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, cool, thanks. Um, yeah, they're not they're not very they're not very big as such. So that's um, and the other thing about Leona is, as I said earlier, the shaman who can't control their spirits and their shamanism is a mad person, and Leona. She is slightly insane because mm. she can't control some of what's going on, but that's shown in her backstory. Right. Yeah. This there, there's this. I really like that rule in the in the in the Rune Quest that past a certain point, your spirits can stop rebelling to see if they can control you or get away and stuff like that. So that's yeah. that's yeah. a good uh, a good idea for uh, character concepts or scenarios. Uh, anyway, um, we should uh, move on a bit. Back to uh, the before, gods. Yeah, uh, before going to uh, creatures of chaos, there's I've got one last question because I was um, actually surprised to see the wild hunter and the white princess in the list of spirits. Mm-hmm. I mean, the wild hunters. I understand it. I always associated him to, like you know cold bitter winds and stuff like that i mean there could be like you know bad winds in the in in prax but the white princess i thought that was like snow spirits or am i um, uh, no. uh, misguided there well uh the white princess in prax actually is the goddess of rhyme of the night frost which uh condenses uh as uh this icy uh, layer on the plants and gives fertility that way is that significant enough to <laughs> Have an actual spirit for it? Oh yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think when when Greg invented the game, he didn't think about the turning it into a role playing game. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we have this we have this thing of, of of cool things, which when you kind of then put into a role playing game, people do say, "Well, hang on a minute, you've got a spirit of frost. How <laughs> how is that useful?" And you can yeah. imagine the animals licking the frost off the plants. You know, okay, yeah. when it happens. But don't forget, she lives uh, the where the white princess lives. She lives in a castle in the middle of um, the bad place. Oh, does she? Okay. She yes, lives in winter. Ruins. Oh, I've got in winter. Yeah, I'm just getting. Oh, that okay, out right. <laughs> yeah, so she lives. She lives in uh, the middle of the winter ruins, and if I recall correctly. The Winter Ruins was where a whole load of darkness spirits were imprisoned. Mm. So what 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 a better I can't even find it. Because the dead place is quite a different shape on the main map. So the um looking at the um <laughs> looking at the map, yeah. um if you look at the if you look at the dead place on any new maps, the dead place is heart shaped. Mm-hmm. Because that's where Stormbull fell, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and um, Eritha gave him earth power and basically killed the area off. Mm-hmm. Um, on the original map, it's just a series of grey blotches. Yeah, it doesn't have the heart shape, yeah. doesn't have the heart shape. And in the middle of that is the Winter Palace where the Darkness Spirits were, mm-hmm. uh, were imprisoned. So, yeah, to, to get to the White Prince, uh, you've got to go through the dead place. Well, <laughs> okay. There's a way of doing it. Creatures of Chaos. So we've got the usual suspects like Fed, Quim, which is the big three-bodied giant thingy uh, that is in the bestiary, and the Bruce, which have um, a really nice illustration. Mm. Like some weird uh, Bruce in the background, though. But I like the, yeah. I like the, the one in the front. Yeah, that's the kind of classic brew. Um, that's where they're defined, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Goat-headed. Well, actually, they're, they're, that's a bit more... I don't think that's a goat. That's a bit more... Um, antelope? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit more antelope. But, yeah. you know, that's that's fair enough. So the brews are um, the classic RuneQuest uh, baddie yeah. um, that we all know about. Um, Fed is a bit more scary. Um, Fed is effectively uh, in RuneQuest the chaos shaman um along with the normal mythology of fed and the unholy trio which doesn't really come up quim is this horrendous monster which um if you if you actually come across quim in the in the wastes you basically all units should retreat um <laughs> somebody wrote to me and said oh yes um there's not enough detail on how to fight these monsters uh, in the vestuary, and um, I did a Q&A on some of the big ones. And, and basically, in the Q&A on Quim, it basically says, I'm just going just gonna to pull it up because um, here we are. It says here, um, do you have any advice for the multiple attacks of Quim? And um, blah, blah, blah. Quim gets 10 attacks per round. Um <laughs> is circular with roughly six evenly spaced arms based on the position of the adventures relative to which arms decide who gets hit by each arm. Uh, one arm from each body can attack each round, but not the same target. And um, basically give it four attacks around if surrounded and then use the other ones to cast 18 points of variable spirit magic each round. <laughs> So, so it, Quim is hugely powerful and casts a lot of spirit magic. And I sum yeah. it up by saying, by the time the adventurers get past the Gorp Rain, uh, the yeah. spit monsters <laughs> will overrun them. Yeah. And it's it, it's kind of um, and, and I think the point here is that Quim is designed to be attacked by um, by armies. By armies, yeah. If if your adventurers go up against one of these monsters and say, yeah, we're gonna we're going to D&D this and just kill it and get the treasure. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're going to die. In the same, he's in the same section as the Crimson Bat, so, yeah, it's not... Yeah, but that doesn't stop people. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, if you give stats to a monster, of course players are going to want to kill it. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've, always, I've always actually seen 
that in a different light. Perhaps that's just me, but I've always seen that you give stats in order to portray the monster better. Sure. So whereas, I mean, whereas it's players... true that uh, it's true that in Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu has stats, and most of the Elder Gods have stats too, uh, even yeah. though you're not ever supposed to kill them, really. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's valid. But as it as it said in the Cthulhu Now supplement, what happens if I nuke Cthulhu? Yeah. And the answer is, ten minutes later, he reforms. Except this time, he's radioactive. He's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so these these are I, I I think it's the stats are important to portray how the monster works. Um, I I just I put them into the category of hero questers can kill these monsters, but they do it in a different way. Um, right. Killing their physical forms is near impossible. But it can be done. I'm not saying it, it can't be done, but the average player characters ganging up on big monsters, they should try and then run, as far as I'm concerned. But hey. Yeah. Have you ever brought Quim to uh, one of your games? I, 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 what I find is really cool is um, the God's War game. Yeah. Because um, you can just get the figures out and say, you see this in the, <laughs> you see this in the distance. And they're just right. like, oh, that's quite small. I said, no, 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 you're, you're this big. Right. And everyone goes, oh, let's go the other way. Oh, so you, <laughs> so, you, use um, Quim, you use Quim as a way to put the players back on track or making them go uh, yeah. the way you want? And I, <laughs> I, think it's in, I think it's important to know that um, much like the Mother of Monsters, um, who's a large monster in, um, you can read about it in the guide, that has a set route. Quim wanders around the plains. Right. And the main function that Quim has is to change the route, uh, the migration route of a, tr of a clan. <laughs> right. So um, clans migrate around the wastes and practs and every... 10 to 50 years go to the to Paps. And the main thing that the tribes will gang up occasionally for is when Quim tries to enter Prax. Mm. That's when they'll all get together and say, whoa, this is not happening, and they'll, they'll <laughs> cooperate. But the rest of the time, Quim's wandering around the wastes, um, killing stupid young you know, initiates of, of things right. who think, well, yeah, we can fight it. So uh, in, in, in RuneQuest, just be very careful and just get the piece out and put it on the map. Nice, nice. Um, Fed in Nomad Gods attacks with negative magical factor. What, yeah. does, what, what does that mean? That means automatic elimination of a unit, uh, of an opposing mm. unit. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that that basically sums Fed up. Um, Fed is is um, quite unpleasant to say the least. Um, the other major thing that uh, comes on is the parts of the devil, uh, which have manifested um, elsewhere in RuneQuest, and we've got six parts of six parts of the devil. Um, yeah, Kuiper so demon. You roll, uh, you, you roll a dice. A die. And you can either have the Devil's Hand, the Kako Demon, some Dragon Snails, a Bullsitch, some Gorp, and some Gas. Um, Kako Demon was written up in Griffin Mountain. Is that like her? Um, no, Kako Demon is um, 
written in Griffin Mountain. The Mountain All Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, which is, which is uh, the god of ogres and will be in the upcoming um, chaos section of the cults of Glorantha. Yeah, my players uh, had a run-in with Kakodimon in a hero quest uh, just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, that's it's just just run away. Um, my players just run away from stuff like that. The the yeah. other parts, um, dragon snails, uh, obviously came out of the marsh and have crept into Sarta. Dragon snails are quite classic RuneQuest two monsters. I use them a lot um, to scare my players. Who who just go? God, they're just giant snails, and they're like, oh my god, it's it's got a flamethrower. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they've got they've always got uh, they've always got um, a chaos feature, and I always like to have flamethrower or point, you know, some kind of projectile <laughs> yes. weapon. Yeah, um, and they're always rather upset about that. Um, <laughs> the the, the bullstitch are. Um, kind of just like a bit annoying to say the least they don't combat they're, they're kind of infection um and i think in a runequest game it would just be an outbreak that a shaman would deal with um they're kind of color more than anything i think they're they're on in the bestiary yeah Are they? oh he says i, I think completely this so. size bags or uh, something like that comes to mind oh yeah they are you're right yeah what do they do yeah they're little tiny yeah, bugs. they're they're basically a swarm of annoying yeah. little things, and their yeah. damage is maddening pain and poison, which is you know it's fine. It's um it, they're they're kind of things that I would just throw in to to liven stuff up. Um, but <laughs> they're they're after the flame throwing snails. Well, I think the most important thing to remember is that there's a one percent chance they can have a chaos feature. So always use vomit acid or vomit flame. <laughs> yeah. uh, how do you use the gorp? Gorp are also kind of... Um, because like gorps are very slow, right? They're basically this big mass of ooze that absorbs and dissolves everything, but they're very slow. Yeah. So um, don't forget that Quim can rain them down on you. Yeah, but when they're, you don't have a, Quim. <laughs> um, to be honest, uh, I always use Gorps as a surprise for people. Uh, they are the um, gelatinous cube of Glorantha. Yeah. And um, it, they're the kind of monster that I've used to cut people off in tunnels. They tend, they tend to occur in the Snake Pipe Hollow modules. And, um, right. So you, you go down the tunnel, you do some stuff for an hour or two, and when you come back, oops, there's a gorp blocking the yeah, way. Yeah, or they fall on you. In, um, in Griffin Mountain, there's a gorp geezer. And I think there are gorp geezers in um, Sun County as well that are used. Um, Ken Ralston wrote up a whole load of different types of gorp, uh, which are in shadows on the borderland, maybe. No, uh, no it's River of Cradles. It's, uh, gorp are quite nasty when encountered in water. That's right, yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was interesting because um, when River of Cradles came out and I read the whole gorp forms and creatures uh, thing, because gorp are the spawn of Pochango, the Chaos God, um, it wasn't until I saw that um, how to with Gorp. It was it was much it was much much more fun with Micro Gorp 
And um, here we are, yeah, six uncommon varieties of gorp. Uh, glue gorp, exploding gorp, regenerating gorp, <laughs> zoomers. Oh, my. Zoomers are faster, and oh, there are okay. breeders and paralyzing gorp. And I'll be absolutely honest, it wasn't until I saw that that Ken had written that um, I really thought gorp could be much more nasty. But as Jörg says, that's in River of Cradles, and we had to wait until that came out. Right. Uh, Austin Conrad, who knows a thing or two about monsters, because he wrote one every month, mentioned to me that uh, he um, sometimes uses gorps uh, as basically garbage disposal. So, you know, if you put a gorp in a pit and you throw anything in it and it disappears and there's no trace of it. So it's good for um, when you want something to disappear. It's only the second best solution. The best solution, of course, is uh, a sense void and chaos. Yeah, but that <laughs> costs rune points to, to summon, I guess. So you don't want to, um, to, to spend a rune point every time you need to disappear some administrative papers. <laughs> How do you stop the gorp getting out of the pit? It's still got a move of one. Yeah, but maybe it likes to be in the pit because you feed it good stuff every day. No, it's it's chaos. It wants more. <laughs> it's like keeping a pit full of, you know, garden snails and fattening them up. <laughs> Just because they're in a pit being fed doesn't mean to say they won't escape. No, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think you need some salt water around that because the sea is the one thing the which eats away uh, at chaos. Mm. Okay. okay, that's that's just far too complicated now. That's, uh, that's just that's just like, yeah, I, I would ignore that. But yeah, um, micro gorp, uh, micro gorp were my favourite because they're only a D three in size, and they're very oh, tiny. And um, droplets. Yeah, yeah, they've got they've got one point of acid, and they're just really if you have hundreds of them. Right. Because players, players, um, it's like in D and D with kobolds. Oh, look, there's a swarm of kobolds coming towards us. We'll just kill them all. But once you get a hundred or two hundred of them, it starts to wear you down. So gorp, gorp are good for um, finding in things. Um, a potion that is a gorp is a good one as well. <laughs> gorp, a gorp in the bottle, nice. Yeah, um, what? It, it's been yeah. mislabeled. Yeah, of course. Yeah, always put gorp in bottles. But yeah, oh, nice. so um, competitions. Uh, Gorp are, are um, they're, uh, what's the word I would use? Gorp aren't great, but you know, if you they're they're the kind of monster you can use every now and then to keep people on their toes. The the one I left to um, gas was the other weird one, which is just yes. a whiff of air, which is um, yeah, not particularly excited. Um, but. Um, <laughs> Excite you could yeah, you could use gas, but the devil's hand is the other one, um, yeah. which is a portion of the actual devil. And yeah. um it it's it's a pretty nasty monster as well, um, that you can come across every so often. But yet again, it's another big problematic monster that um you you don't you it would have to be part of a scenario rather than um I think it's in yeah. Snake by Polo. No, that's that's a lesser class. That's a that's another cousin, yeah. It's not explicitly said that they're the same hand. Oh well, it's a big demonic hand, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. I, I think what's interesting here is that how big is the devil's hand? As big as you want it to be. Precisely. It's not like you know from from. It's not like from uh, 
what the, the thing uh, from the uh, yeah Adam's yeah it, or whatever yeah it's a um, giant scaly alien hand yeah it's and it's big and still uh, my primary image of it is uh, from yellow submarine the glove no idea <laughs> no that's that's fine that's fine but it, it's not as friendly <laughs> It's a thing you would spring on people as part of a, um, a set scenario. You know, your your clan, your you know, you you move your herds, and up out of the earth comes the the, the chaos hand, and you have to do something. So it's a it's a good um, foe. Next, the eternal battle we talked about last time. So we might just you know quickly yeah. go over it. Uh, And that's a particularly nasty thing, and you get ghost warriors and bodies of old out of that. Um, yeah. The interesting thing about the Eternal Battle is, to me, that you get a glimpse to uh, pieces from Gannett's Garden. Yeah, baby. Well, yeah. We, Idry Army Lords, Long Ears, and uh, what was the third? The what? The ghost warriors and bodies of old that show up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Silver yeah, Age warriors. Um, yeah, uh, I think uh, David last time mentioned that uh, he mostly uses it for his uh, Storm Bull players who can then run into it and experience uh, a part of their gods. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Storm Bull is Storm Bull is in there, yeah. uh, and you can fight alongside him. Yeah. Well, I'm the Lankamai who wants to uh, sneak in and uh, pass it into the uh, gre uh, into the Green Age of Ganas God. <laughs> <laughs> take notes yeah. Yeah. and never come out but anyway that's it so that's that's really all the counters as such if you want to look at the counters have a look at the um vassal version you can see all the counters there yeah. and i think all the counters are shown on um in sheets on board game geek yeah board game geek if people want to see the actual counters and how they were drawn by william uh, church it's uh, they're either in vassal Or you can probably see them on. Um, yeah, it has the the sheet, the unpunched, uh, like pictures of the unpunched sheets. And so I'd say these up. are good images for uh, the monsters of Prax. And the, I mean, this is this is what we used as the art direction. the The <laughs> whole book is is art direction for um, <laughs> for Prax. Um, do we have anything? To say about uh, like the spirit alliances and scenarios, um, the scenarios I would say not spirit alliances and sacrifices. That's just basically game mechanics. But the scenarios, don't forget, are the um, ones that Jaldon created to um, yeah. bring together all the tribes together in order to hone them as a single fighting force. Um, yeah, you, meant, you mentioned that last, uh, last episode. It, um, and, yeah. and so the setup is, is very similar to the other ones, except the only thing you get extra is you get the magic pieces. Um, so, so scenario five is bits of scenario two and three. Um, scenario six is bits of scenario five and three. And then it goes on to a much more interesting section, which is the prehistory of Prax. Yeah, now the um, next part is like a big lore dump about uh, prehistory, like the, the history of Prax, basically, uh, with an interesting map that doesn't look like anything 
else. I guess it it is a map that is in the same style as that Lunar Empire map that was like sideways in uh, White Bear and Red Moon, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it, it shows a, um, a map of, and it's weird because like this is Nomad Gods and it happens in Prax, and it shows this big map where Prax is only like a little corner, the bottom left corner of the map. Uh, but it shows like the entirety of Pant and some stuff uh, to the top that I think is not even in the Gunnerotella maps anymore. And this is and this is basically, um, you know, Greg's early mythology. Yeah, um, Prax is a tiny part, and this just shows more of the world and how he viewed it. And it is interesting because it has got some areas on it that were expanded. Um, the scale is um, completely mad. Oh yeah, it's, <laughs> all, it's all it's all wrong. But did did he yeah. did he include this large map that basically goes almost all the way to the edge of Crawlorella? Did he in, include this because he already had in mind that the Praxian tribes actually go all around the waste and uh, and and back to yeah the Prax, yeah or? yeah I mean that's in the mythology as well we we know that um, they did but Prax is the holy land and this is the uh, yeah the mad adventuring area completely out of scale to everything yeah. and it's probably worth looking that you know there are some areas sort of the lunar empire is other demons normally live here and the masked land and um Kralarella is not actually um you know mentioned at all but at the very very top there's the hikimi and um some northerners pilgrimage route and uh, this is all early stuff yeah uh, that, you know william church is william church has drawn it up and um it's got, that we uh, just... it's got almost like um uh in, you know uh early medieval map sort of flavor you know when you look at those old maps from the the eighth century or whatever where you see Europe and North Africa but it's all wrong and weirdly distorted and it looks a bit to me like that like a like a yeah, um, yeah. It, it could be it could be an in-world map of of Glorantha basically yeah. And now we've got the guide and the maps there. Um, it's much better that we use that. Cool. Uh, and I think that brings us to the end of uh, Nomad Gods because the rest is basically the list of all the uh, battalions, uh, the list of all the chits, and um, yeah. some ads for other Chaosium products and all that. Uh, to me, this is really uh, where... Um... Uh, well, or the entire chaos mythology of Glorantha is uh, written down the first time and defined. Yes. I, I mean, uh, Cards yeah. of Terror takes over, but this really lays the foundation, and the local myth of Prax suddenly becomes the uh, uh, myth for the entire world of Glorantha. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, like, Prax is mostly defined by spirits and chaos? Yeah, but uh, this devil myth of Prax... Uh, which is here quite a local thing, uh, suddenly makes up, well, uh, our idea of Glorantha everywhere. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the devil, the devil, the, the it, it's, the, the final battle is in Prax, where all the gods eventually are killed, fighting the devil, go to the underworld, 
where Arachne Solara is waiting with the net. And so the, the entire net mythology is based around happening in Prax. And it is the devastated post-apocalyptic landscape as a result <laughs> of saving the universe. Uh, yeah, you're ab absolutely right. You make it sound so epic. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that's what it, it was. That's where it happened. Um, I mean, there are other parts of the story that happen off scene with All Ants Lightbringer's Quest. But as Jörg said, it, it does all, it happens here. Right. Um, I was just going to say, the, um, the lists of the uh, pieces are quite good because you can see some of the pictures in larger detail. Oh, you can yes. see the Morocans. Yeah, they're, they're bigger than the counters, so they were reproduced larger. That's that's always nice. There's some also some bigger pictures of counters elsewhere. Um, the um, the one other thing to go on is um, the epic art throughout. Um, yes. For those of you that have that have the book, um, the booklet, it's well worth buying the booklet just for the art. Um, although it's the rules for a war game, uh, don't underestimate um, the center page piece by Gene Day which has a huge battle with um, yes. the, the tribal protectors fighting and has basically all the art direction for how we look at high llama riders and bison riders and storm ball and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, we, we, it, we talked about the art in, in the first part um, yeah. in, the, in the last episode. And, and yeah, it's, it's, really, um, it's a really great look at what Prax looks like. And I think you were basically saying that the art direction from there is um, is still valid today for... Totally. Um, Apart yeah. from some of the ridiculous things. Yeah. There are some random pieces that are a bit odd. There's a kind of... The picture of Raven on page 54. The, the, the counter looks like a menacing raven and the picture just looks like a small bird that's right. kind of yes. like... Ooh. Yeah, there's some there's some filler art that is um, uh, strange. Plague also looks like some bizarre demonic monster, whereas um, the counter just looks like stick men fighting. So there's there's there is some there's some odd stuff throughout it, but I would um, really recommend buying it just just to have a look through um, the PDF. I'm not even sure how much it is anymore. Uh, let's just go and do a quick ad and say buy this book for. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a remiss in my job if I didn't. Um, let's just have a quick look. It's it's actually it's never been that amount of uh, Nine money. Nine bucks. Well, eight ninety five. You, you you have to say for yeah. only eight ninety five. Eight ninety five, which I don't know is a lot of money in um, in UK pounds. That's that's nothing for what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's not nothing, but it's it's actually it's actually affordable in a in a sense if you want to buy stuff. I'd, I'd recommend that. Yeah, no, it's um, it's got some some interesting little tidbits and and the art, yeah, the art is really great. Gene uh, Day is definitely a, a treat there. Anyway, um, we are way over time. Uh, any closing remarks about Nomad Gods besides just buy it for eight ninety five? <laughs> um, all of them are basically covered in some form or other in the Prosopedia that's, that'll be out with the um, Cults of Glorantha. And uh, a lot of them are in much more detail in the actual Cults of Glorantha themselves, either as full cult write-ups like Polestar, Biz Polaris, yeah. and as spirit cults in the spirit cult chapter. 
Um, if you want to find um, any info about some of the ones that uh, aren't currently available, uh, I'd recommend looking at Cults of Prax, which is uh, the classic version, which is available. And that's probably where you'd get all the info from. Cool. Well, we're definitely looking forward to Cults and the Prosopedia. Uh, Jörg, any closing remarks? Yeah, um, I think uh, Prax uh, always was a bit difficult for me. Oh, yeah? Uh, uh, my, uh, my entry point always was the Dragon Pass board game. And Prax was just this weird annex. And uh, one thing I really regret about the board game is that it doesn't have the Lunar Invasion. That would be the scenario I really would have liked to play, uh, the Lunar Army against the Prax and Trials. Yeah. Except it's set during the time of... I forgot his name. Golden Tooth, Jaldon Golden Tooth. Well, Jaldon appears in Dragon Pass on White Bear and Red Moon. Yeah, that's a different section. This is more of a historical look back. But I do understand, without much, um, you could easily do it. But I think the invasion of Prax is not done, not not sensibly done on the scale of Nomad Gods because you would probably have to do a much more tactical hex war game Because moon, moon Broth is one hex. Mm -hmm. And so you could easily reenact it, but you just have all the counters basically stacked around Moon Broth yeah. and just, just have one or two turns to see what would happen. And yeah. to be honest, mm -hmm. I, think it, I think it would be better as a, 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 a tactical war game as such. But um, I wouldn't want to say what sort. Cool. Well, um, David, thanks Uh, a lot for coming back on the show again. Yes, thank you very much for your general, uh, generous uh, dose of expertise on Prax and uh, shamanism. Yes, and uh, I'm looking forward to um, eventually seeing all that expertise in a uh, Prax book one day. Maybe. Thank you for listening to this episode of The God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. You can go to bed now.